happy Father's Day. So this is Sunday, uh, June 21st. The summer is, is flying by, uh, but is a, it is a day that we set aside here uh, in our nation to, to honor fathers. And so I just wanna say a happy Father's Day. I've, I've actually noticed a tendency uh, with, within, uh, maybe it's just Christian culture, but there's a tendency on Mother's Day to make a big deal and bless moms and encourage moms. And on Father's Day, it's either you don't say anything or you bash fathers for being bad dads. Um, I don't wanna do that. So I want to honor fathers. I want to recognize God's um, plan and design for the family. Um, and so I wanna thank God for fathers, um, for the family. And so I just wanna say happy Father's Day, many of you here. Uh, our fathers, if you are a father, I want to encourage you uh, as I would encourage myself. Let us as fathers lead our families well. Uh, let us seek to, to honor him um, as, as leaders of our family. May we make disciples of our family. May we, uh, as dads, set the spiritual tone in our homes. May we repent uh, for failing to do so. Um, Father, do not take your responsibility lightly. No matter who, how old your kids are, you are still called to lead and disciple um, our time, especially for me as a, a dad with young kids. Uh, my time to influence is, is short um, and it's moving faster than ever. And so I don't want to neglect my responsibility. And so I want to encourage you dads also. Um, some of you here, have, you've lost a father, maybe, maybe more recently. Um, and so I hope that you're able today to remember him, maybe find something to thank God for about. Um, you know, the, just the, the way that things typically work is, is um, faith passes from generation to generation. So maybe you had a, a godly dad who led you and taught you about the Lord from a young age. And so you, you should thank God. If he's no longer with you, um, there's a day coming when you'll be with him again. And so that, that's a cause for hope today. But remember your dad. Um, and, and some of you uh, in a fallen world, there are broken systems. And so some of you may have had bad fathers. Maybe you never knew your father. Um, and so today may be a difficult day for you. And I just wanna recognize that also. Um, this is hard for some people. And so I, I, I pray for you um, today. Uh, but if you are a Christian, if you're someone who's trusted in Christ, believing in him, the good news for you today is that whatever your experience with fathers, um, regardless of how good or how bad your father was, regardless of how good or bad you are or were as a father, uh, the good news for the Christian is that there's a heavenly father uh, who created each, each of you, who loves you, who cares for you, uh, who is with you, who never leave you or forsake you, who gives you all that you need, uh, who never does anything that is not for your good and in your best interest, which is, which is good. That, that's, that's comforting for us. Uh, for the Christian, we have a heavenly father who knows your name and knows everything about you. And in spite of that, sent his son for you and, and has reconciled you to himself. Uh, so we have a heavenly father who's perfect. So if nothing else, let's thank God uh, today for his care for us, his children. Uh, so, so be encouraged. If you, if you have a dad that you can call, seek to encourage him today, text him or um, do whatever you can. Uh, if you know a dad, um, a neighbor, someone, encourage them today. today today's a day where we ought to um, be encouraging fatherhood. Um, so let me, so, so I'm gonna pray for us in just a second as we start, but, but just before I pray, I just wanna give you a few updates on, uh, if you're on our email list, we, we, send out a, a, we sent out this week a Friday email with our prayer requests. Um, and so, so we're gonna try and keep doing that regularly with all the kind of the current updates. Um, if you aren't on the email list or you don't have an email and you wanna know, feel free to call the church office, call my cell phone, um, and, and I can update you on the request. But two updates um, from our time on Friday or from the, the, the time it was sent out on Friday. So baby Avery or AC, the Discern's grandson, he was tentatively scheduled to come home, but he is having um, some additional issues and so the wait continues. So he's still gonna be in the hospital. He's not um, home as of yesterday. Um, but but it, it seems to be minor problems and, and they're, they're trying to work through those uh, minor setbacks. So he's gonna be there a little longer. We'll, we'll pray for him in a second. And then uh, Frances, if you remember, she had a stroke several weeks ago and then she was released from the ICU into an instant, in, to a rehab facility um, and she was doing well. She, she was going through the, the typical pains and struggles of rehab. Um, but on Friday night, her oxygen levels were low and they stayed low and so they... they um, admitted her to Riverside there close to the rehab facility. Um, and it turns out she has pneumonia, which so uh, Francis has been battling that. It seems like on and off for, for a long time. Um, and so she's in the hospital again. Um, but again, if you know Francis, um, she's resilient and, and she's, she's going to uh, fight. So we're gonna continue to pray for her and these other um, concerns. So, so we'll pray in 
uh, for those requests and more in just a moment. But, but what I wanna do is I wanna read a passage of scripture for us as we begin. Um, and so I'm gonna read from Joshua chapter one, a well-known uh, passage of scripture. Moses is gone and here comes Joshua to, to fill the, the shoes of Moses. Um, and the Lord uh, speaks to, to Joshua and encourages him. And um, so I wanna read that first and then I'll, I'll pray for us. So, so here at Joshua one, beginning in verse one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, who was Moses' assistant, he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. For the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, what an encouragement truth that is for us to hear. Uh, for us, it is good for you to be near. It is good for us to be near to you. Father, it is for our eternal benefit and comfort that you are near to us, that you have drawn near to us. And so we take heart in the fact that you will not leave us or forsake us, just like you with Moses and just like you with Joshua, just like you with David, just like with you with Peter and Paul. Lord, so you are with us. We thank you for your spirit who you have freely given to us, who dwells within us through whom your love has been poured out into our hearts. We rejoice that we have the comforter, the helper, the advocate with us. And I pray, Lord, that your love would overflow through us. May we be those who are known by our love. May we be known by our love for one another within this body. May we be known by our love for our neighbor. May we be known by our love for our enemies. Father, may we as your children, as those who've been promised your presence. May we, like you called Joshua, may, may we be strong and courageous. May we be those who walk by faith and not by sight. May you alone be our hope and our strength. And Father, I ask that especially in divided times as we're living in, may we as your children show our steadfast hope in you and you alone. And may it not even be a question where we are putting our hope. Lord, we hope not in chariots or horses. We hope not in political parties or presidents. We hope not in anyone or anything save you and you alone. And so we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in you. Forgive us for our changing, our unstable, sometimes doubting faith. We confess that, that you are not lacking trustworthiness. You have not changed. You are faithful and true and will always be but we are the problem. We confess we're tempted to put our trust in other things. We're, we're tempted to be afraid and anxious and worried. But you are worthy of our trust. And so I pray you'd help us as your people to trust you in these times. Father, I pray for the concerns of our church family here. We continue to pray for the Keast family and Jerry as he mourns the, the unexpected death of his son. We continue to pray for Barbara Hawks and, and her family as her brother. Uh, is now with you in your presence. We pray you would help Barbara to grieve with hope. Lord, we pray for Hazel, who's home recovering, who had a successful knee surgery. We pray for her continued recovery. We pray for baby Avery. Lord, we pray for patience, continued patience for Ron and Sherry and, and their kids. Uh, but we pray baby Avery would, would come home soon. We pray for Frances, continue to sustain her. Thank you for her hope in you. We pray that, that she would hold fast to the end, help her. Lord, we pray for Stephen, who, who, who's Dot Trevathan's son, and his, his, his foot issues with the neuropathy in his feet. 
And we pray that you'd, you'd bring him healing and relief and comfort. Um, and Lord, we pray for the, the family of, of Courtney uh, who had the, the, the funeral yesterday. We pray that you would comfort and give hope and we pray that you would meet the needs of those kids who are now without their mom. We pray, uh, Lord, that you'd be near to them as they are, um, they are vulnerable. So, so we pray, Lord, would you work powerfully in their circumstances. Uh, Lord, we pray for... Um, this nation, I pray for the racial tension, the racial pain. I ask that your people, the church, would be on the leading edge of, of reconciliation. I pray that your people, the church, would be united, that we would be one people who have repented and believed and who are united to one another and to Christ. Give us as a church wisdom, give us as individual Christians, give us wisdom, give us opportunities to love our neighbors, give us opportunities to listen Give us opportunities to speak and act in ways that would bring honor to you and to Christ. And may we be known by our love. And so give us wisdom. We are are in desperate need of your guidance. And then lastly, Father, we do pray for our missionaries. Thank you for these these guests. Lord, I I thank you for their ministry. Uh, Those whose whose lives have been affected much like ours, no matter where they are living in this world. Um, So I pray you bless the family with us this morning, but I also pray for the Smiths in Thailand, for Jeremy and Christina and Adeline and Everett and Silas. Uh, We pray for Jeremy as he goes to villages there, uh, sharing the gospel with with native Thai people. We pray you'd give him uh, effectiveness, give him boldness. Um, Lord, I pray for the tracks that that he is using. Um, We pray for Christina and the relationships that she's developing with friends and neighbors. I pray that you'd provide for their family. Help them to continue to trust in you. Thank you for their service um, on our behalf uh, and and on the behalf of your church. Um, Lord, we we have many more needs and and you know them all. And so I ask that you would would intervene um, and give us confidence in you. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, we are still in our series on the Holy Spirit. And so we, we transition here to to the sermon introduction. And so if you haven't been with us, we have been working through a series on the Holy Spirit. Um, And this is the ninth week. So it's been a long time and and I don't really see the end in sight. It's gonna keep going. Um, But but more more focused these past two weeks and it'll continue this week, we've been focusing on the process of sanctification. Asking the question, how do Christians grow? And we looked at the, the process that every Christian is in process. We looked at that several weeks ago. Then last week we looked at kind of how it works, kind of starting to get down into the, the practical, um, how we actually grow. And, and we actually spent the whole time on the sources or the source of sanctification. We looked at passages in the New Testament where, where Christians are the source, where we are called to act, where we're called to be active and intentional. And we looked at passages where it's God who works. And so we looked at, these are the two sources. The Christian is a source and God is the source. And then we ended last week looking at the process where our work is grounded in God's work. So we do work, it's actual real work that we do, but it's all grounded in the fact that we are confident God is working. Okay, and so, so that was the, the Philippians 2 passage where it says, um, or Philippians 2, we, where Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works both in and with you, works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we saw that process. Okay, and so this morning, uh, last week, we, I kind of left you hanging because we got halfway through our outline and then we stopped. Um, and so I think I have the outline up there. We, we looked at the sources of growth and the process of growth, um, but the two points we didn't get to were the pattern of growth and the means of growth. Um, and so my intent this week was to cover points three and four, but um, as, I, as I looked at and, and wrote out a sermon on point three, it kept going and going. And so we're gonna cover point three this week. Um, and that's all we're gonna get through. And, and you ought to be thankful that I keep pushing things off or else we would be here a long time. Um, and, and I do, I try and make sure that when I, when I cut things out that it, it's still a, a good sermon, okay? So, so hopefully you will be encouraged as we look at the pattern of growth this morning. So, so we're gonna be all, all in on point three, the pattern of growth. And Lord willing, next week we will cover point four, the means of growth. Um, but I do, again, I think this is helpful for us to kind of work through. It's been helpful for me to, to work through this, um, this process. Um, so, so I do think it will be helpful for us. And so the pattern of growth. Now, as we think about this process and the, the ways that we change, um, I thought of an illustration that, that might be helpful to you. And this illustration hopefully gives you an idea of kind of the big picture or the big pattern of Christian growth. And so here, here's the illustration. Our house 
Um, we have four children, four kids, um, from ages eight down to, to seven months who she is attending here. Um, but so we have four kids, but there's one particular child um, who has developed a, a love or a fascination or an obsession, you might say, over superheroes. So he loves superheroes and, and he, he kind of goes from one to another. So, so it's been the Hulk, it's been Optimus Prime, it's been all of the Ninja Turtles, it's been um, other Avengers, it's been Chewbacca from Star Wars, but most recently, he's developed a, an infatuation with Batman, with, with the superhero Batman, and, and he has several Batman shirts. In fact, if you've seen him over the past couple weeks, he's probably showed you, look at my shirt. Right? The first thing that he'll do if you meet him is, look, look who's on my shirt. So he wears Batman shirts, but something else he loves to wear is a Batman costume that his cousin gave to him. And this is a head-to-toe Batman suit. So, so you put it on, it. it's legs and arms, it's a big onesie, that's a Batman suit. And it even has a mask that, that, that's, you know, that's the matte black mask that, that he likes to wear with his costume. And when, when Bennett puts that costume on, Bennett's mindset changes. His attitude is different. His actions are different. For all intents and purposes, he becomes Batman. Now, obviously, this can be a problem and it leads to multiple issues, especially when Batman is trying to kick Joker in the face, which he does often, um, especially when Joker is one of his sisters or a neighbor. But my point is that when Bennett has that costume on, his identity is different. He is, he is not the same three-year-old boy. Everything changes. He lives and acts like Batman. His life and all that it entails is lived out in accordance with that new identity. And as I think about the big picture of Christian growth, I th- as I think about the pattern of sanctification, it really isn't much different than our three-year-old whose identity is determined by his costume. What I mean is this, growth in the Christian life is based on the fact that we are new people, that we have been born again, that we have been made new, that we've been raised to walk in newness of life. Christians have new identities. We are different people. And the process of growth is based on pursuing or living out our new identities. In other words, whereas my son takes off his costume when playtime is over and he goes back to being a a somewhat normal three-year-old, as Christians, our costumes are not fake or pretend. Our costumes are never taken off. Our costumes are our new identities. We really are different people. The old has gone and the new has come. And so the pattern of change is based upon living out your new identity, living your new life. And because this new identity that belongs to every Christian, this is a reality for every Christian, you're a new person, this process of Christian growth is going to involve negative elements which are forsaking and avoiding the old self or the old identity, negative aspects, but also a positive aspect, pursuing the new identity, keeping in step with who you really are. These are the two aspects of Christian growth, of this change. And so as you seek to grow as a Christian, there are things that you should not do, things you should refrain from doing, things you should flee that do not fit with righteousness and Christ-likeness. And as you seek to grow as a Christian, there are things that you should do, which are positive, that accord with who you are and your new identity. And so as we work through some of the New Testament passages, we're gonna look at some aspects of growth through these two specific lenses. We're gonna look at the negative and the positive. Those are the two categories that form the pattern of growth. Okay, so we're gonna look at negative, we're gonna look at positive. Now again, just just to, to remind you this pattern of growth is all based on the new life that has been given to us by the Spirit. So, so, so you're gonna hear a lot of do this, we ought to do this, we ought not to do this, but, but lest you think that it's on you or on me, none of it is possible without the Spirit. The Spirit is the source of the new birth, but also progress in this new life. Okay, so, so we must not fall into thinking that it's all on us, that the Christian growth, that the process of Christian growth is dependent on us. So, so hear me say we need the Spirit and thankfully, we have been given the Spirit fully and freely who is our help. So this week, we're just gonna look at the negative, okay? And you're not gonna leave here in a bad mood, but, but just categorically, we're gonna look at the negative aspects of growth, okay? And so I would say that the most all-encompassing 
negative that we're gonna look at is found in Romans 8, 12, and 13. And so you can, you can write down, there's gonna be a lot of passages we're gonna be uh, flipping through, but Romans 8, um, verses 12 and 13 form kind of the, the biggest or most comprehensive picture of negative. So, so let me read this, um, Romans 8, beginning in verse 12. Paul, right into the church at Rome, says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Verse 13, four, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the, of the body, you will live. Okay, so, so here, that, that's Paul. Do, do you hear the language? If you live by the flesh, you will die, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so Christian growth, here first what I wanna say is Christian growth involves putting sin to death. Another word that has been used throughout church history is that of mortification. Christians are called to mortify. That, that, that simply means to kill. Christians are called to kill sin. And we do so because our sin and its consequences have been conquered, defeated, eliminated, by the death and resurrection of Christ. And so because our faith is in him, because we've been united to Jesus, because we've died a death like him and we've been raised to new life like him, a resurrection like him, we then put to death sin because we've been freed from its enslaving power. We're not under its, in, under its dominion anymore. We are new, we've been raised. We are men and women who are dead to sin and alive to God because of our union with Christ, because of what happened in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And so, so as the believer, there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. We are declared righteous, which means that when we sin, which by the way, we still do, but when we do, we seek to kill it. We seek to put an end to its outworking in our lives because sin and, and a giving ourselves over to sin is not part of our new identity. It doesn't accord with our new costume. It, there's something wrong with it. We've been united to Christ and given new life. And so living, pursuing, indulging in sin is, is not fitting with who we are in reality, who we really are. And so growing as Christians means recognizing the dangers of sin and the necessity of giving regular, regular attention to it and of regularly repenting from it. As we think about the Christian life and specifically Christian growth, we must recognize the dynamic that is at work in the life of every Christian. If you're a Christian, you must be at war with sin in your life, right? That, that's, that is a, a baseline. If you're a Christian, you must be at war with sin in your life. My fear for those who have been Christians for a long time is that we might fall into thinking that we've been doing this Christian life thing for so long. We've heard so many sermons. We, we've done so many Bible studies. We're, we're experts and my fear is that we might fall into thinking that we really aren't that bad. We're, we're actually pretty mature and righteous Christians. And that's a fear of mine because to be in that place is very dangerous. The reality is the Christian always, as long as he or she is alive on the, this earth, has sin to wage war against. It's gonna look different. So yes, I pray that, that you're, the, the, the sins of your youth are not still plaguing you. So it looks different, that, that you've grown in holiness and righteousness, but you never grow to the point where it's not existent anymore. As a Christian, you will always have sin to wage war against. And it's scary because one sure way to guarantee defeat is to be oblivious to the fact that you have an enemy. And so if, we, if we're lulled into this, this neutrality, oh, it's not a big deal, that's when you're subject to attack and to destruction for the Christian who doesn't take his or her sin seriously, or even worse, who doesn't even recognize his or her own sin, whether sinful thoughts or attitudes or actions that, that still rear their ugly heads, that Christian is a sitting duck open for attack, an easy target for sin and Satan to destroy. And so Christian, if you're here, if you want to grow, you must know that you have a war raging within your very self. War is, is, is being waged within you, within your very members. And though we have been given new identities, and although we have been crucified, buried, and raised with Christ, the reality is we still have our weak, frail bodies of flesh that will, that will plague us 
or hold us down or constrain us as long as we are in the flesh, as long as we have life on this earth. Which means that, that you're always gonna have two, two things seeking to be your master, two natures seeking to drive you. The old man, the flesh, the sinful man, he is always, or woman, is always, or she is always going to seek to drive you towards sin, and there's always, as a Christian, the new self, the spirit, this, this new creation, who is always, by the spirit, going to be pursuing righteousness and Christ-likeness. So that war is always going to be present within you. You ought not be too discouraged because the spirit will have the last word, right? That, that's the good news. That's the promise of God. And so maybe you feel like I'm making no progress, right? The Lord will not forsake you. He will not leave you. He will complete what he started. He's given you his spirit. And so the spirit will have the last word. We will be perfected. We will be, we will behold him as he is and we'll be transformed. We'll be like him, right? That's a day I long for. That is, that is coming, but in the meantime, the old man still seeks to achieve rule and reign in your life and in my life. And the Christian is called, according to Romans 8, 13, to kill, to mortify his or her own sin. And something the Christian must spend his or her whole life doing. There's actually, there, there's a book written in a, a early 1600s by, by a, a man named John Owen, who was one of the, the Puritans, uh, it's called The Mortification of Sin. It's, it's the best treatment. His entire book, um, and it's a small book, um, the entire book is, is an exposition of Romans 8.13. So he spends a lot, that's what the Puritans do. They take one verse and then they write volumes on it. Um, but but his, his, the entire book, it's powerful and it's pointed. And his whole, his whole point is, if you, by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the, of the body, you will live and he just hammers that home over and over and over. And I'll, I'll read some, a few quotes from him in a moment, but, but I don't want you to miss there in verse 13, so, so we, we've said mortification is the duty of every believer, but notice there in verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, what's gonna happen? You will live. So notice, verse 13 connects mortification with life. Now, he's not talking about mere physical life. That, that's not his emphasis there, but eternal life. So eternal life is, is shown in, is guaranteed by putting to death the deeds of the flesh. So mortification and eternal life are connected here, which means that for a Christian not to be killing sin is a very dangerous place. In fact, I think it can be said that a failure to, to be killing sin or at least a desire, or at least a failure to desire to kill sin could be evidence that you don't have life. It could be evidence that you aren't a Christian. Christians don't live according to the flesh. By the spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh and we live. Christians aren't controlled by sin. Christians aren't okay with sin ruling and reigning. Christians are called to kill sin. And notice 8.13, Romans 8.13 continues, it is by the spirit that Christians kill sin. We, we've made that point. The, the role of the spirit is to enable, to empower, to lead us in killing sin, in fighting our flesh. It's not a self-motivated or self-produced process. In fact, one of Owen's quotes, he says, mortification from self-strength, self right? that, that, that's our MO here in, in, in our nation, Right? We can do it. Give me the list to do. I'll do it. I'll kill my sin. And Owen says, mortification from self-strength carried on by ways of self-invention unto the end of a self-righteousness is the soul and substance of all false religion in the world. You, this is not a call to mortification from self-strength. It is by the spirit. It is impossible apart from the spirit. So it's by the spirit that we Christians mortify sin. The command clearly, hopefully, you see, is for Christians to kill sin. And this command assumes that there are passions, there are desires, there are thoughts, and there are actions that would rise up within the Christian. And, and, and these would, would lead the Christian to act in such a way that is driven or controlled by sin, to lead him or her to act and live in a such way that does not accord with his or her new identity. Sin is an enemy to be killed. Sin does not want you to be content in the Lord. Sin does not want you to pursue holiness. Sin does not want you to, to, to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. 
Sin seeks to do the opposite. And the process of killing sin begins at recognizing the reality of sin in our lives and the intention of sin in our lives. Sin desires to destroy you and me. Here's another quote from, from Owen. He says, sin aims always at the utmost. Every time it rises up to tempt or entice, might have its own course, if it might have its own course, it would go out to the uttermost sin of that kind. Now listen as he explains this. Every unclean thought or glance would be adultery if it could. Every covetous desire would be oppression. Every thought of unbelief would be atheism. And if it might grow to its, he- if it might grow to its head, it is like the grave that is never satisfied. It is modest, as it were, in its first motions and proposals, but once having got footing in the heart by them, it constantly makes good its ground and it presseth on to some further degrees in the same kind. Right? It, it is the grave that's never satisfied. If you, you give it an inch, it will take a mile. It, it promises more than it can deliver and it always costs more than it seems to. Right? This is the nature of Sin, the, the smallest sin has in its very nature, its very DNA is its desire to grow to its most extreme form. Any angry thought, if left unattended to, unmortified, would seek to manifest itself in murder. And, and while that may sound crazy, this is what we find to be true over and over and over. Sin that starts out small when left unattended grows and grows and grows. And, and an example a heartbreaking, a wrenching example, but, but it happens is of the husband who, adit, who commits adultery. I mean, if you think about it, no husband on his wedding day thinks, I'm gonna be unfaithful to this woman. No husband wakes up one day and says, hey, today's the day I'm gonna throw my marriage away. Today's the day I'm going to be unfaithful. Instead, and, and there, there's, there's research on this, Nine times out of 10, it's a process that starts out small. A, a noticing of a coworker or, or an interaction or, and it starts out small, but when left unattended like a snowball, it, explo- it grows and grows and grows and wreaks havoc. And there are other examples. But because of the nature of sin, Paul says Christians must mortify which means that Christians must beware of the nature of sin that dwells within our very chests. We, we can't be inactive. He that stands still and suffers his enemy to double blows upon him without resistance will undoubtedly be conquered by the issue. Now listen, listen this is Owen again, the last, the last sentence. There is not a day but sin foils or is foiled, prevails or is prevailed upon. And it will be so whilst we live in this world. Do you hear that? There's not one day, today, June 21st, sin is either going to foil or be foiled. It's never neutral. And it will be so as long as we're alive in this world. So the Christian must mortify. It is a matter of life and death. Christians grow by recognizing and killing sin. But it's not just Romans 8, 13. I'm, I'm gonna mention several other passages. You can write them down. Colossians 3 Verse five and six, Paul, Colossians three, beginning verse five, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Then he lists sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse six, on account of these things, Paul says, the wrath of God is coming. And so again, he he begins there in Colossians three, five, the language put to death. Now he doesn't say the deeds of the body. Instead, he says that what is earthly in you. Right, that's a descriptor, what's earthly. So, so put to death, Paul says, what is earthly in you or put to death your earthly nature. Right? Same idea as Romans 8.13. And here, just like in 8.13, Paul assumes that there are things, there are deeds of the flesh, earth, earthly things, actions and thoughts that are contrary to or opposed to a life in the spirit. Things that don't belong, things that aren't okay. And it is those things, Paul says, that must be put to death. It is those things that Christians must wage war and fight against. It is the attitude of Christians towards sin. Specifically, and we'll, we'll make this, this point later, but most importantly, it's, it's our attitude towards our own sin. We can't miss that. If you, if you hear me calling you to, to put sin to death and you immediately think of your neighbor, you're missing the point. You're called to, to put your own sin to death. 
One other verse, Romans 6, 13, or, or Romans 6, 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So again, this is a call. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Rule, exercise dominion. Don't do that, Paul says, to make you obey its passions. And so how does a Christian not let sin reign? By killing, by putting it to death. Christians kill sin, we mortify. This is the negative aspect. So, so mortification is the first point. Connected with mortification, our, our second negative aspect of Christian growth is, is the putting off of the old self, the putting off of the old self. This comes specifically from, from Ephesians 4. So Ephesians 4, Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, beginning in verse 17, I'll, I'll read this passage, listen to this language. So we have our, our foundation of, of, of old and new, of, of spirit and flesh, uh, of negative and positive, but listen to, to how those categories come up in, in this passage in Ephesians 4. So beginning in verse 17, Paul writes now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They, Paul says, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that, Paul says to the, the Christians at Corinth, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about Christ and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so again, the, the, the pattern is there. No longer walk as the Gentiles. Now, now his reference here to Gentiles is not, is not merely a, a racial group or an ethnic group, but it, it's simply a category of those who don't know God. Right? The Gentile, the, the heathen, the pagan. Paul says, you don't, you don't, no longer do you live like them. Because that's not how you learn Christ. Paul assumes that knowing Christ transforms how one lives. And a transformed life consists of putting off the old self. Right? And this goes along with Romans 8, 13, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. This is the negative aspect. You put off. Now there, we'll come back to that literally next week because there's a negative put off, but there also do you notice the positive, put on. Well, that, that'll be next week. That'll be the positive. But, but here, it's the negative. Paul says, put off these things that, that don't fit, that aren't right. Don't live in those things. And so this put off is another negative aspect and it's specifically the old self that Paul says. And then the last category of negative that I'll mention in Christian growth is, is, is and, and it actually helps clarify or fill out the first two points, but, but it's in places and it's, it's a handful of places where we find lists of vices to be avoided. Okay, so there's these vice lists throughout the New Testament and we'll, we'll look through now, but, but because so far we've seen the deeds of the flesh kind of in a more general way, okay, put it to death, I got it, sin, I'm supposed to kill it, got it. But, but in these specific passages, scripture lays out specific things and, and we're gonna see these things are acts, actions, and attitudes, right? It's not just how you look or live outwardly, right? Sin to be waged war against goes internal. It's, it's heart, it's mind, it's, it's emotions, it's attitudes, and so I just want to walk through some of these vice lists that, that kind of show, show, here's what you're going to kill, right? So here, here's, your, here's your shopping list today when you go home. Make, make the, this is your list. When it, when it shows itself, kill it. So, so first we, we have Galatians 5, 19 through 21. So Galatians 5, 19 through 21. We, we looked at this in our, our study several weeks ago where this context is where Paul lays out the fruit of the spirit. Again, Lord willing, next week. That's the positive but in the context, he says, here's, here's the works of the flesh, which are evident, he says, verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. Here they are, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so here's the list. If your life is characterized by these things, if you are giving yourself over to these things, always, continually, unrepentantly, 
Paul says, you will not inherit the kingdom. This is a life that is driven and led by the old self. So that Paul's saying, these are evident. And there's the spectrum here. There are actions that he lists, but there are also attitudes. It's a whole spectrum. And what this list does for the Christian is it identifies for us very specifically things we must flee from, things we must avoid, things we must not be okay with, things we must put to death. Another list, Colossians 3, 5, and 6. Again, we, we looked at this earlier when he says, put to death what is earthly in you. But there in verse five, he lists out things that are earthly in you that we're to put to death. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so again, here, here's the spectrum. Evil desire, covetousness. Th- this, is, this is an attitude. This is something you can say, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna not do this. Right? Th- this, is, this is internal. These are attitudes that we must fight against and turn from and put to death. These are things that don't fit with our new identity. And these are things that the spirit is at work in us to rid us of. And so these are, these are works of the flesh. Now, now I know this is redundant. I, I told my wife, this is a really simple sermon. But, but as I was working through this, as I'm, I'm looking through New Testament passages, this idea is all over. It's all over the place in, in Paul's letters and in, in other of the New Testament epistles. I mean, this idea of put off and put on or kill or, or keep in step with the, these categories. I mean, the, so, so I said, well, this is how Christians grow. It's a negative and it's a positive. So, so let me just, here's, here's a few more vice lists. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9, Paul writes, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not de- be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were Washed, you were sanctified, set apart, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So that is, that is the definitive sanctification. It's talking about that. As a Christian, you've been set apart. You're different. Now, as we read a list like that, it's easy for us to identify the sins of others. Or it's easy for us to identify the sins of our culture. And as I mentioned earlier, if your first impulse is to think about others, you're missing the point. You are to kill your own sin. You can't kill someone else's sin. You don't kill the sins of others. Christians recognize the evil tendencies and temptations of their own hearts and Christians are called to kill their own sin. And did you notice there in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, that killing of sin is grounded in the new nature or the new identity. Paul says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. This is the new self. And Ephesians 4.24, this new self that we're to put on, which was created after likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the process we're pursuing. And we do so by, by putting to death, by, by avoiding, by fighting these things. Another passage, Ephesians 4.31. Again, this a great section there in Ephesians 4, but, but spe- specifically near the end, he gets to verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Right, so, so up in early in, in chapter four, he talks about, here, here's how you walk worthy of your calling. Here, here's what it looks like to, to live out your life as a Christian. Here at the end of the section, it looks like putting away these things. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Put those away, Paul says. This is a command to Christians. You must do this. I must do this. We, we must hear these commands and we must seek to obey them. Then last verse I'll mention is 1 Peter 2, verse one. Peter writes, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Again, put it away. Have nothing to do with it, Peter says. It's not just actions that you avoid doing. The Christian fights against actions and attitudes. Malice, hypocrisy, envy, these are all attitudes. And so this is, this is the, the negative aspect of Christian growth. And, and it's a bit of a paradox because for the Christian, positive growth or life requires death. Right? This is the paradox. If, if we wanna live, we've gotta kill. 
Right? If, we, if we want our spiritual lives to grow, we must put to death our old selves. That, that's the paradox. The way up is down. And so if you want to grow as a Christian, the first step is to recognize that you are your own worst enemy. Or at least your old self is your own worst enemy. I can't overstate that. Yes, Satan seeks to devour us like a lion. Yes, the world opposes us at every turn, but more times than not, it's our own flesh who is our greatest enemy. And so we have to start there. We have to start there recognizing that, that, that we have an enemy within. I don't want us to be in the dangerous place of indifference towards our sin. If you're a Christian, as I mentioned, you have sin to wage war against. It isn't whether or not you have to fight sin. That that's not a question that you have to ask yourself. If you're a Christian, the question isn't whether or not you have to fight sin. First John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The issue isn't whether or not you have to fight sin. The issue is whether or not you're aware of your sin and whether you are actively seeking to put that sin to death. And so I wanna, I wanna just close with a few points of application. And they're, they're again, they're redundant. You, you could probably fill them out for me, but, but I, wanna, I, just wanna, I just wanna spend our last few minutes here. First application, know your sin. If, if you're not a Christian, you can't fight your sin. If you're not a Christian, there, there's no hope for you apart from faith and repentance in Christ. And so if you're not a Christian, you don't hear me saying, here's what you have to do to have a better life. If, if you're not a Christian, your only hope is faith in Christ and repentance from your sin, right? Because upon faith and repentance, you receive the spirit and, and he is the one who enables any progress in this. And so if you're not a Christian, first let me say, Christ died for your sins to pay the penalty that you owed and, and he offers free forgiveness to anyone who would look to him in faith. And so I, I, would, I would call you to trust in Jesus. And knowing your sin ought to lead you to looking to Jesus because he is the solution for your sin. And so that's first a non-Christian, hear that. But if you're a Christian, application, know your sin. I want to be a pastor. I want us to be a people who know our sin because that is the starting point of sanctification and growth. That is where mortification begins. And so if you're a Christian, do you, do you know yourself to be a sinner? If you don't, ask those around you if you are or not. But, but do you know areas where, where you're prone to stumble? Do you know the ways that you're tempted to live in accordance with your old self? Maybe it's an old habit that rears its ugly head in certain circumstances, in certain situations. Are you aware of that? You ought to know. Maybe that's a place for you to start today. I mean, I don't care how old you are or how long you've been a Christian, based on the authority and testimony of scripture, I can confidently declare to you that you have a sinful flesh to contend with. And if you don't know that, if you aren't actively working to fight against that, today's the day to start. It's life and death in the balance. Now's the time. And, and so maybe it's just, maybe it's simply asking the Lord, show me my sin. Now what humility that takes. Open my eyes, show me, plead with the Lord. Where, where are, what are things that I'm doing, relationships where, where I'm not living in accord with my new identity? Give me eyes to see. Maybe, you, maybe your Bible reading time can be read through that lens. Okay, where's sin being, being displayed in this story in the Old Testament or, or in this passage? Okay, where's that in my life? Maybe that's the, the lens you need to read the Bible through. I want us to be people who know our sin because that's the starting point of growth. But I also want us to be people who know our sin because when you know your sin, when you know, in the words of Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15, when you know yourself to be the worst of sinners, which you are and I am, when you know yourself to be the worst of sinners, then, and only then, and especially then, are you and I able to see the great grace and mercy that's been shown to us. Knowing yourself as a sinner paves the way for repentance. Knowing yourself as a great sinner paves the way to the cross of Christ where he bled and died to purchase your pardon. 
I mentioned 1 John 1, 8 a second ago, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Do you know what 1 John 1, 9 says? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us, process from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9 is not solely or even fundamentally mainly an, an evangelism verse. He's writing to Christians that he's confident about our Christians and he's saying, if we confess our sins, John the apostle included, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repentance is a Christian practice from start to finish. Christians know their sin and Christians take their sins to Christ. This is the gospel. Christ deals gently with his people. He's humble and lowly. One author writes, it isn't the severity of your sin that elicits tenderness. It's not like, okay, I really screwed up. Let me go find a tender-hearted Jesus. It's not the severity of your sin that elicits tenderness. It's whether or not you come. Any sin that you forsake and go to Christ with will be received with tenderness. He's not gonna shun you. He's not gonna say, I can't believe that. He is gentle and lowly. This is the gospel And it's good news for sinners. Jesus came not for the righteous, not for the well, but for the sick, for the sinner. And if we ever lose the awareness of our sin, what necessarily follows is a loss of our need for Christ. And that is a bad place to be as a Christian. Because when we lose our need for Christ, we rob ourselves of the only remedy that can truly change us. Christian, you need Christ, I need Christ. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. Those two truths are connected from the moment of conversion to the moment of our final breath. Great sinner, great savior. We know that at conversion, but, but we often lose that. It is just as true the day we close our eyes in death. And so know your sin. Then the last point of application, mortify. Make it your daily work. Mortify, that's what John Owen would say, that's what I would say, mortify. There's hope for us as we fight. There's a spirit who's been given to us to help us fight. And so so we wage war. We we wage war intensely, but we wage war hopefully. And so so let us do so as as God's people, as those who've been born again, those who've been raised to new life. Let, let Let us put to death the deeds of the flesh by the spirit that we might live. Pray with me as as we close.